It's the 31st of March, 2017. This is the Room Now Week in Review, and I'm Jack Cush, Executive Editor of RoomNow.com. Uh, this week I'm tweeting and reporting from Advances in Targeted Therapies, a meeting being held here in Mandalieu, France. Um, this week, a few of the tweets that I thought were interesting uh, included a great lecture by Dr. Max Cooper on when did the immune system start, and he dates it all the way back to 450 million years ago where the first evidence of adaptive immunity is being found in jawless hagfish and lampreys, which are sort of descendants of the catfish. Uh, in those species, they found um, uh, VLR receptors and antigen-specific responses that indicated the evidence of uh, the, the start of an adaptive immune uh, response, much like what we have today. Uh, a great lecture. Dr. Ray Chowdhury um, reviewed some of the genetics behind rheumatoid arthritis, uh, and I thought a notable point was that position 13 in the um, pocket of HLA-DR beta-1 is probably responsible for as much as 90% of the risk of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, good information suggesting that you might be able to identify a putative antigen with that kind of power. Um, a great lecture by Bernard Manger from Germany looked at uh, perineoplastic syndromes with rheumatic manifestations, and he had a number of them, uh, including uh, clubbing and its associations with hypertrophic osteoarthropathy, um, a cancer-associated polyarthritis, uh, myositis associated with uh, a cancer, um, palmar fasciitis, paniculitis, vasculitis, and something called oncogenic osteomalacia, all these being perineoplastic syndromes. Uh, a great lecture by Kevin Winthrop reviewed uh, what is a safe spot on steroid use? Is there a sweet spot? Is there a dose we should or shouldn't use? And interestingly, he showed a number of studies that showed, well, first off, I've always thought that um, any dose of steroid can increase risk. There are multiple studies showing the higher the dose you use, the greater the risk. Uh, and it's always been a dose-dependent phenomenon. And you do see a number of studies where the risk is present at 5 milligrams a day of prednisone. He showed a few studies where 5 milligrams a day of prednisone was not associated with a higher risk, and they were tended to be in relatively new and relatively simple patients uh, without complex therapies and whatnot. However, if you look at prednisone use in conjunction with complex therapies, often given to very sick patients, you don't see quite the same. You see an, now an increased risk. So he, he cited the CAPRA-2 study from Frank Bucharet, which showed that 5 milligrams of prednisone did not increase the risk of, uh, of infection in RA patients on DMARDs, but then cited a number of other ones. Um, another, uh, I think, great take home from him was that um, doses that are higher are clearly going to be uh, an increased risk. And he pointed out that 15 milligrams and above almost consistently gives you a higher uh, and deleterious effect as far as infectious risk. You can get it at lower rates, but the bottom line is a simple patient Low-dose steroids is probably not going to be uh, harmful, but a complex patient, multiple comorbidities, very severe inflammation, it's the same story as that seen with the rabbit registry and TNF inhibitor use. The greatest risk for infection is in those who have the worst disease, the worst number of comorbidities, and worst prognostic factors. Um, those are people, when you add on more advanced therapies or even steroids, you get a higher risk of infection. Um, from the news this week, a, a hepatitis B testing, an interesting report, uh, looked at 15,000 um, USRA patients and over 46,000 
Taiwanese patients and found surprisingly low rates of hepatitis B testing, uh, 20% in the U.S. and 24% in the Taiwanese, suggesting we are way, way under testing in high-risk patients going on high-risk drugs that could lead to hepatitis B reactivation. The FDA this week approved ocrelizumab. This is an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody. It was in clinical trials for rheumatoid arthritis, was suspended for unclear reasons to me, and is now going to be marketed for multiple sclerosis for both the relapsing form and the aggressive primary progressive form. Um, it, the approval is based on uh, OPERA 1 and OPERA 2 trials in something called the Octavia study. Um, it's going to be priced at over $60,000 a year. Uh, it's, it's felt to be a major advance in the treatment of, of multiple sclerosis. Um, another important news item this week was the approval of tofacitinib in the European Union by the EMA. As you know, this has been up for uh, consideration for a number of years uh, and finally has, uh, has taken place. In fact, baricitinib was approved earlier this year in the, e in the EU and now tofacitinib is approved at, at 5 milligrams twice a day. Um, the, uh, there's a nice review of psoriasis induced by TNF inhibitors in the DERM uh, literature. This is in the Journal of uh, American Academy of Dermatology. Um, uh, an interesting article looked at over um, uh, 88 articles and identified 216 patients to come up with basically a picture as to who gets this. Um, it was mainly seen in Crohn's patients, about 40%. Rheumatoid arthritis, uh, a little bit less than 37%. It was mainly seen in the first year or 14 months on average. Uh, infliximab was the most frequent offender, but that's probably because of the Crohn's association with 62% of the cases that they identified being associated with infliximab, and about 21% with adalimumab, only 14% were with etanercept. The skin manifestations were about 40% plaque psoriasis, 36% pustular psoriasis, and a few with psoriasis, psoriasiform dermatitis. Um, it's a little bit different than some of the other reviews that suggest there was a higher rate of pustular disease in patients with this um, TNF inhibitor-induced form of psoriasis. Um, the authors recommended topical therapy. It seems to work uh, while continuing the TNF inhibitor in a number of patients, but the most often um, therapeutic maneuver was cessation of the TNF inhibitor in nearly half the patients, and that led to improvement or resolution in 94%. But they did also show that um, 32%, 33% continued therapy, and 33% improved, and 57% um, uh, actually resolved. So again, you could switch, you could continue. I think it depends on the severity. I think uh, I would also recommend that pustular psoriasis is more difficult to treat, less likely to go away on its own, probably should merit um, consideration of drug cessation rather than continuation uh, and or switching. Um, uh, a report has come in, the, uh, uh, in, in ARD this week about biologics not increasing the risk of invasive melanoma. Uh, I think the data is pretty clear that uh, TNF inhibitors don't really cause cancers above that seen in RA patients sick enough to get a TNF inhibitor, meaning RA and inflammation promotes a higher risk of lymphoma, lung cancer, skin cancers, leukemia, maybe melanoma. Um, when you look at patients who had a prior cancer uh, and you give them a TNF inhibitor, what happens? Well, studies have shown that actually the rates of recurrence are low, except for one, and that's been uh, uh, seen for a while, 
with just, and mainly with one citation, the British Biologics Registry showing an 18% recurrence rate when you gave a TNF inhibitor to those who had previously had melanoma. They didn't specify whether it was invasive or in situ melanoma, so it's a little confused, but it's led a lot of patients and a lot of doctors to believe don't use TNF inhibitors with melanoma. So because of the uh, controversy, uh, nine countries pooled the data of 11 registries, 11 RA registries, to look at a, several hundred thousand patients and basically came up with the fact that uh, there is no higher rate of melanoma when you use a biologic, specifically a TNF inhibitor, but also rituximab and tocilizumab and abatacept were shown to not increase the risk of uh, first uh,